Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. I wrapped up updates to the Blue Ridge Parkway book that came out at the in the middle of uh, 2021 at the first part of the pandemic, and it was an odd experience to be doing that. You know, I was talking to people who didn't know legitimately how long their businesses were going to be closed or anything, weren't sure if they were going to open their campground back up, but then going out and seeing how people were using the parkway made me change my approach to riding it. I noticed a lot more people picnicking and using the facilities that I think previously they had ignored. I found that experience also in the Smokies because the parkway touched which is Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And so I was you know, on both sides of the Smokies there. And it was odd you know, being in Gatlinburg and no one being on the streets. But the trailheads are full. Everybody's out, socially distanced, which you sort of naturally do when you hike anyway. And so, so many people using the picnic facilities and, and things just like on the parkway that I saw. Like, I don't typically see as many people camped out like for that long, hanging out for half a day you know, at the sinks, you know, overlook or something like that in the Smokies. But I did. It made me realize that I needed to pay more attention to that and uh, help show people where some of the better ones were. Hello and welcome to Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, Gaze at the National Parks is a podcast that explores the trails of America's national parks. One hiking trail and one national park, one park at a time. In between our full-length episodes, which explore these trails, we have trail mix episodes. These episodes cover a variety of topics related to the national parks and the environment. And sometimes it means special guests. At the very end of last season, we had the pleasure of speaking with a number of special guests, including Grandma Joy and Brad Ryan of Grandma Joy's Road Trip, photographer Patrick Rodden, and Moon Travel Guide author Lee Bernacki to discuss her guidebook on Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park. We are excited to continue our partnership with Moon Travel Guides, who connected us with Jason Fry, who wrote the Moon Travel Guides on the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the Blue Ridge Parkway. Jason Fry hails from the foothills of West Virginia. He moved to North Carolina to pursue a master's of fine arts in creative writing. It was there that his love of traveling through the Smokies grew even more. His writing has appeared in Southern Living, The Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News, and AAA's Go Magazine, among others. And recently, we were able to sit down with Jason and chat about the Smokies, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and the surrounding gateway communities, and all of the beautiful secrets these spaces have to offer. 
being able to be there firsthand and see that, how has that shifted your writing a little bit? How has it shifted how you view the park and utilize the parks and the spaces that you've come to write about? Well, the whole experience made me kind of reset how I have to do it. And I think it's good. And I think it did it for a lot of travel writers. Anybody that's involved in communication on the travel side of things, we all get stuck in our ruts and, you know, you learn how to review a hotel or this is what to expect on a cruise ship. Oh, this is what happens when I go to a national park uh, or a ski resort or to go mountain biking. But having to separate from that and look at it differently and fielding calls and texts from my cousins or high school friends, you know, hey, we want to go here. How do we do this with the kids? You know, having to answer those questions really made me reflect more on what goes on for that. And so I started looking at it differently. You know, I was driving on the Blue Ridge Parkway thinking, okay, like, where do you go if you got an eight and a 10 year old in the back of the car, you know, which my wife and I don't have, and we just go wherever we want and do our thing. But it, it just made me evaluate it differently. That came to, to everything, to the the storytelling. I think we try to be more inclusive in the stories when when they're there and when they're they're known to be told. You know, we miss things and you know learn new things all the time, and so they're always expanding. Um, there's a a great Black History tour in Asheville that's in the new edition, and you know I never would have found out about it had it not been you know for the the BLM movement and some other things. You know, given this guy the the impetus to to start this company. You know, he's going to have quite an impact. And so, you know, looking at the National Park's experience beyond just the borders of the park, you know, I know that you guys have visited, you know, the Smokies, and part of that is, uh, you know, a visit to Asheville if you're going to do the North Carolina side, you know. It's food, it's beer, there's Biltmore, there's gardens, it's awesome. We love Asheville. Yeah, we Asheville has been... We've been many times. Yeah, I think like five. The population growth is explosive. Oh, yeah. Asheville is one of those places, my, you know, my wife and I love it. We live on the coast in North Carolina, and so it's, it's like the Smokies all the way on the other side of the state, and it's a completely different terrain, but I grew up in West Virginia, and she grew up in Connecticut, so we, we both like hills and mountains and, and that sort of place. And so we've always looked at Asheville as a place to go, uh, even before you know I was writing guidebooks. Um, when we were in grad school, we would go out for concerts and things and fell in love with that town. The growth out there has been enormous. I mean, the, the real estate industry it has boomed and it, it slowed down a little, but I don't think it ever stopped you know, in the way it does in, on the coast anyway. It's enriched that community so much more, though, because there are now more art galleries that are open. There are more people that are involved and invested in doing things. Um, you know, There's a, another one of uh, the Moon authors. He runs a business in, in Asheville. He writes the Hawaii Guide because he spends you know, winters there. <laughs> he runs a stand-up paddleboarding company in, in Asheville and just loves it. And you know, he chooses to, to live there for a reason. And it's one of those places where, wow, had we <laughs> had my wife and I thought to buy a property there 15 years ago. Yep, all of us thought. Yep, maybe right. we'd be talking. Yep, exactly. <laughs> My sister actually went to uh, went to school there. Uh, she's a massage therapist, and so I've been going to Asheville since the late '90s. You know, seeing it from then until sort of being reintroduced to it in uh, in the mid 2000s, the growth was was exponentially large. But now it's it seems like it's there's something new every single time I go out there. I think on the positive side, it, it helps enrich their food culture, that beer culture, and the arts. You know, all things that the city are, is very proud of and that they've become known for. You know, I think they're one of the best food cities in the in the South. And you know, I don't just say that because I live in North Carolina. Or, you know, no, we agree. Oh, that is. You know, but it like, is. it's 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 a great and place. And the beer. I mean, the, the, the amount is, of breweries is, is like dizzy. And the things that they put out, it's they're not just 45 breweries all doing the exact same thing. You know, everybody is putting their spin on it. And because the bar is set high, everybody has to push high. So I think that's one of the big positives. But I think one of the drawbacks 
is something that a lot of communities are seeing when they're looking at representation of arts and culture. And is that makeup, is it as diverse as the community's makeup? And I don't think it is in Asheville. I don't think you have nearly the number of international restaurants or black-owned restaurants that are reflective of the community's makeup. And that's changing. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing more uh, you know, black brewers coming into town. Um, there's more black chefs in the kitchens. You know, uh, Ashley Shanti actually is on Top Chef this year uh, in Houston. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's coming along, but I think they, they, like a lot of places, have work to do. Yeah in that area certainly yeah i think i must i would imagine too with the growth being so explosive and you know the city probably trying to keep up with it a lot of people got left behind in that there are things that happen you know unintentionally you know as a result of bad policy and then there are purposeful bad policies and you know some of those are things that uh, d wayne barton on the hood huggers tour which is the tour i was talking about a moment ago um, he talks about that with the history of Asheville. it's a very frank and unvarnished look at the city through a historical black lens and it's eye-opening to a place especially a place that's built on tourism to learn that you're so welcoming to some but yet you've been so inhospitable to others and i think it's wise to to find ways to tell those stories. I'm curious about where your journey with the Smokies began. You said you were you uh, were born and raised in West Virginia. I'm wearing a New River Gorge hat right now. Yeah. Right? Oh, you yeah. are? Yeah. yeah. I am. I am. We have been there twice now. And um, both in tw- 2021. Both in 2021. What? We went in like in March and then we went again in October. Yeah. So we, we got to see it in vastly different seasons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very different places. Yeah. Oh, it was were awesome. Were you there for Bridge Day? Uh, we, we were a weekend been. before we the Bridge weekend, Day, but they had canceled it this but year. But they canceled Bridge Day. Yeah, yeah. But, but we, we did, did walk the, the walk. bridge. Yeah. Oh, isn't that that's amazing, isn't it? It was. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was certainly something. <laughs> I am terrified of ledges, so that was like a exposure therapy circumstance for me. And I'm um, glad I did it. Glad I did it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I wouldn't do it again. I might do it again. I grew up in West Virginia, only a couple hours from there. I grew up in Logan County. You know, the, the Hatfields and McCoys, that story? Uh, I grew up in the county where Devil Lance Hatfield, the leader of the Hatfield uh, family, was, oh. was from. And so, yeah, so it's, 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 it's a really fun and interesting and beautiful place to, to grow up, but not, not unlike the terrain around the Smokies. But you go up to Harper's Ferry, you know, out in the eastern panhandles, just a hop, skip, and a jump from D.C. or New York or Philadelphia, and I, it's a completely different type of landscape than it is down around the New River Gorge. Then you'll find, you know, up on the, you know, on the northwest corner near the Ohio River. You know, it's totally different up there. So, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful state. It's small, and uh, the tourism industry there is really coming on, and I'm, I'm glad to see that because I've seen the impact in places like Bryson City, North Carolina, you know, Gatlinburg and Townsend, uh, you know, even, you know, some of the, the suburb communities of, uh, of Knoxville. Some of those places, you know, benefit from proximity to the park. But my family grew up going down there. We would just go down on weekends. Uh, you know, it was only a few hour drive down there and my dad owned his own business. And so if he was done in time, we'd just, we'd just go down. Sometimes he'd pull us out of school like a half day on Friday and everybody get in the car and disappear to the Smokies for four days, oh, two days, awesome. day and a half. It was awesome. And so I was down there when, uh, yeah, I, I think you guys have not gotten to go to Dollywood. Is that correct? No, no we, we did. did. We just we got finally, oh, you did, did finally? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I went when it was Silver Dollar City and they had the, to like a seven-year-old, they had the scariest haunted house I'd ever been in. 
And then the next year we went back and it was Dollywood and they had re- replaced the haunted house with the Dolly Parton dress museum. Or something. Oh, the museum. I told the, my grandma. The Chasing and Rainbows was, Museum. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> I, my my nine-year-old self was outraged at it. I couldn't believe they took away the greatest haunted house to show this woman's dresses. I didn't get it. That sounds like an answer to my own prayers. Like, <laughs> Like, please take away the haunted house and just replace it with the Dolly Parton Museum. Yeah. Well, did you go to the Dreammore Resort and see the wall of album covers? And we didn't, we didn't go, go to, to the, the Dreammore no. Resort. Okay. It was it was there. We didn't. Yeah. No, we didn't end up going. What's funny was like I went to so Gatlinburg was a resort destination. I grew up in South Mississippi, so I'm from Biloxi. Gatlinburg was like a really special vacation if you got to go there and so um and pigeon forge obviously is like you know down the road i remember going to gatlinburg it had all of the the shops and all of the stuff and all that and then down the road was pigeon forge and i knew that dollywood was there pigeon forge at the time was sparse with its businesses this was you know in the mid 90s when we went this summer driving through pigeon forge i was like you can't like throw a ball without hitting a (laughs) go-kart No, no, you really can't. Everywhere. Unbelievable. It is like every stitch of real estate is covered in like arcades, attractions, some kind of theater. (laughs) Ripley's, I like, I feel like Pigeon Forge and Gallenberg are literally keeping Ripley's, believe it or not, in business. (laughs) Well, then you've got to go to Myrtle Beach because they've got a Ripley's down there too. And so I think it does gangbusters down there as well. But no, I remember that too. I, the, those towns, you know, it's almost that if you build it, they will come philosophy. You know, the, that national park, Great Smoky Mountains, sees 14 million, or Gatlinburg sees 14 million visitors a year, and the park sees 12 and a half million, uh, you know, a little north of that. That's a lot of people coming through a town. There, it's no wonder there's so many pancake houses. Everybody needs a pancake when they come there, and they all need them at 8 o'clock in the morning. Do you think it was more one gave way to the other or do you think it was more symbiotic like do you think the park really is what helped the explosive growth of gatlinburg and pigeon forge or, or like reverse. vice versa i think now it's probably symbiotic although i think that the, the park might lead it in that slightly but i think that as the park you know if they open you know there's 900 miles of trails in that park if they opened up 300 miles of trails tomorrow they'd have that much more capacity for people to come in there and the communities around it would have to absorb that. And so, you know, if you all of a sudden could introduce 2 million p- more people to the park in a year, there's nowhere for them to stay. And so now, you know, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge are missing out on, you know, room occupancy taxes and people eating in their restaurants and buying one more t-shirt, and, you know, getting a Ninja Star from, you know, one more, one of the 500 knife shops. I, <laughs> yeah. They're missing out on all those things. And so I don't think they would want to. So I think they would find ways to build more densely or, you know, annex additional land for the town. But I think that that growth would lead it. Um, I think you see a little bit of the same discussion when you talk about Yosemite and the, the rock climbers and how the, you know, those guys that were out there free climbing and, you know, really pioneering the sport helped drive just general interest in the park because people would come out and camp to watch these daredevils do this stuff. Things grew around that. So I think that the parks themselves have enough interest that they drive a lot of that conversation. You can be standing on the street in Gatlinburg and then get in a car, drive down this intersecting road, and then you're in the Smokies on a trail, right? (laughs) Yeah. Some of my favorite trails in all of the MPS are in the Smokies. The views 
especially like the views at like the terminal points at the top are just so unbelievably breathtaking. And I feel like people forget about those things. And I'm like, if you do the work and you get up there, there is payoff like you won't believe. We hiked Mount Kammerer to the fire tower in the middle of fall. And it was just like smoky fall across, like for, I mean, for miles and miles and miles. Oh my it god! It looks like a calendar. Yeah, like it, it looks like a wall calendar. It is a wall calendar. Computer it's, desktop. Yeah. Like it's not real. Unbelievable. Yeah. Right. Like I don't have words to describe how gorgeous that was. Well, you should try writing a guidebook that has about forty-five <laughs> of those trails. Yeah. So you get to describe how amazing this sunset is and how amazing that sunset is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I it's but the thing is, there's so many of those spots oh, that lead so you many. to a corner yep. where it just it opens up and you're like, oh my God, it can't get any better than this. And then you five hundred yards up the trail it opens up again. You're like, oh my God, way better than that. For those listening who maybe have never gone to the Smokies or are curious who might pass by your book and pick it up and give it a flip. What hikes are you? I mean, we talk about hikes all the time on the show. What are your, let's say, top three hikes? The one most recently that I did was that I really, really liked was Lynn Camp Prong. And it's, uh, it can be one of those monster smoky hikes if you want it to be. It's, it's 21 miles round trip if you need it to be. We maybe looked at this over the summer and you were like, absolutely not. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an over planner. And so I was like, we're going to do this 30 mile loop today. And I was and like, join it up with a bunch of couldn't things. walk for two days yeah. after doing 19 <laughs> miles. I don't think we can do it. But okay, tell us about it. But no, so the great thing is you don't have to do 21 miles yeah. on it if you don't. You know, it's one of these things that is quintessential Smokies. You, um, it's out, it's out near the Institute, Great Smoky Mountains Institute at Tremont, and so it's between uh, Sugarlands Visitor Center and Cades Cove, you know, along that road. You can go from there up to the top of the mountain, up to the crest of the Appalachian Trail, but you don't have to. That's all 21 miles. From the trailhead, I think it's a half mile, and you start to see the edges of a cascade. And for the next quarter mile, you're just watching this this cascade just get larger and larger and get right there. And you can be done. And you can be back at the car, and you will have done a mile and a quarter or a mile and a half round trip, maybe. you got to see a waterfall. Or you can push it to four miles, and you'll get to Indian Flats Falls, which is just off the corner of the trail. And it, again, is just one of these quintessential little Smokies spots. There's a waterfall. It drops maybe 10 or 12 feet into a pool that spreads out, runs over some rocks, runs down. Every time I've been there, there's some equestrian folks that have ridden around the corner, tied up the horses, and they go out for a picture. Hikers coming up the other way, everybody says hi, we all go out and, and, and look at the waterfall. That's one that I've really been in love with. If you're a photographer, it's a dream. There's fields of wildflowers, plenty of places to go down and, and access um, Lynn, Lynn Camp Prong. It's a beautiful hike. Another one that I found over on the Cherokee side, I think it's about six and a half miles from the Oconolufti Visitor Center, is uh, Kephart Prong. It's a short one. It's good. It's it's really good for beginners. My wife grew up in Connecticut, but she didn't really grow up. She likes to say she didn't grow up uh, an outdoor kid. <laughs> so this is one of those ones that you know I, I would use to introduce her or someone who doesn't really have the experience in the outdoors. I, this is a great trail for them. Um, it's 
four miles round trip. It's not a lot of elevation gain. Wildflowers, you cross a stream four different times on log bridges that they use in the Smokies. And you get up to uh, to Capart Shelter, which uh, you know puts you, you know, in, an, in an interesting spot, you know, up high enough on the mountains to be able to look around and, and see something. I like those two a lot. Those are two that people don't think of uh, that much. But one of the popular ones in the park that uh, is popular for a great reason is uh, the Abrams Falls hike in Cades Cove. You know, Cades Cove is such an iconic destination, and once you get out there. You know, you drive the loop, you can look around, and that's one of the best hikes in the park. It's a five-mile jaunt out to a 25-foot waterfall in this humongous plunge pool. And I've seen plenty of wildlife, but never any bear. We saw bear on that trail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did that trail when we were there this summer. We saw... At the very beginning. It was very early, and we saw a mama bear with her three cups. Cross the trail. Yeah, yeah, it was cute. It was great. Yeah, we were. I ha- we had to be sort of the parents to all of the other <laughs> hikers, hikers who, who were, were like, too "Oh, close. let's get really close into." And we were like, <laughs> "Let's give them space." I'm glad that uh, the park service has stepped up some enforcement on some of this obvious bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And you oh, know, yeah. I know that they've been you know just combing through social media posts and things and finding people that think it's cute to feed a bear, you know, and sending people fines. <laughs> you know, a month or two right. down the road. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, I, it's, nope. I, These are wild animals, man. They're not your friend's dog. It's one of the, the drawbacks to the popularity of the national parks. You know, it's, I love that people are introducing themselves to nature and are coming to love these places and, and enjoy the great outdoors. But I, I want, you know, in cases like this, I want for your own safety, for you not to endanger yourself or the animal with some of these things. I know we've all, we all kind of ignore the signs that we see, but there's signage all over that national park. And there's so many reminders like, please don't feed the animals. Don't do this. Stay X amount of feet away. For the most part, people do. And a lot of people do what you did and what I've done on trails, which is hey, remind people, we shouldn't get this close to this. Like we can see it fine back here. And I feel like the MPS is actually really economical about their signage. Signs are there for a reason. They also don't over inundate you with them. So read the ones that are there. Follow what they say. We did a very long day at Abrams Falls because we got on the horse trail <laughs> and did, did the long overgrown loop. This was our last day of hiking for the trip. Five, five weeks. weeks. Yeah. So our bodies are really tired. The exhaustion was like we were both done at this point. We'd both love to hike. But after hiking for five weeks, we were kind of like sort of the last thing we wanted and, to do. We should have turned around and gone back at Abrams Falls and done something else. But we were like, eh, let's push it. It's our last day. <laughs> I've finally started to listen to myself. And every once in a while, I will pull the plug. And I'll just be like, you know, not today. I, that waterfall will be here next time. I'm going to go do this instead. And it's... I, Again, that's something that you need to learn is like, listen to yourself. You know, it's maybe, you know, you got a little spidey sense because something in your lizard brain saw a bear down the trail or you just, your body knows that your legs aren't going to do five miles round trip on something rocky. You need to go do something easier. Yeah, we've definitely been better about that. This was sort of like a foolhardy end of trip adventure. (laughs) Oh, I've definitely done that too. I mean, I climbed Mount Whitney several years ago and we did, um, we went from the high camp to the summit and back to the trailhead in a 26 mile day. Oh my God. Yeah. It was Damn. miserable. Yeah. It, was the, it was the worst hike I've ever done. It was so awful. Now, do you know about the, the, the Badwater Ultra Marathon? No. The Badwater Ultra Marathon runs from Badwater in Death Valley National Park, the lowest point in the, this hemisphere, to Mount Whitney, the highest 
peak in the contiguous U.S. in one 100, I think it's 114 miles. It sounds awful to me. <laughs> it sounds horrendous. It sounds, I, love, I, I loved climbing that mountain, yeah. and I love Death Valley National Park, yeah. but I do not need to combine those in one long no. run. No. No. If someone told me, like, the only way you can ever go back on a trail ever again is if only if you're running, then that was it. I had a nice career. I, like, I had fun, on too. Trails. <laughs> like, no, incline's already tough enough. I don't want to add add running on top of that <laughs> I, I, i'm gonna run if i need to and i hope i don't need to. exactly exactly that's a good right. mentality right being where you are in north carolina and then also working with not only the smokies but blue ridge parkway obviously shenandoah is also sort of in your purview and it, and and spaces you're interested in we just saw today that they posted that they're starting to permit old rag now they're running a pilot for it so how do you feel with like things like that coming up. I mean, I actually like them. Um, I think that the, I think there are, are, are times, you know, like with the Sun Road, where you need to work out a solution that falls outside the, the typical parameters. And there, you know, you just need to allow some sort of locals permit or locals ordinance where you know, you give a double the double the amount of permits to those people or something. I don't know exactly what the right solution would be, but there's a way you can accommodate me because I live here and you know those who are coming here to use it. As, as a different type of amenity. They did a, a program last year in the Smokies for Laurel Falls. They started doing a timed parking ticket, and I think you could get a parking ticket for four hours, and they sold you know, X number of slots a day uh, you know, at the whole parking area there. And they roped off where people have been parking beside the road for years, you know, just making their own parking spot on the shoulder. And there was some grumbling, but overall... The volunteers picked up less trash. There were less incidences that required ranger or volunteer assistance, uh, you know, so it was easier on the environment. And you know what? The trail still had monstrous traffic. Tons of people were still on it. And they had to pay a few bucks to park. No big deal. The Smokies is a free park, the same as the Blue Ridge Parkway is free. So the, you don't pay an entrance fee there. There's those parks receive no monies other than something like that. So I'm all for a pilot program in that way. Now in Shenandoah, they're doing it at old rag for that mountaintop. And the one problem, I think it's a good idea because I think that's a hike that people take and it is above their experience level. And they just assume that they can do it because they have done other hikes of a similar length, but that's a hard trail. It is a hard trail. So I think that it's nice as a barrier of entry. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's definitely a hard trail. We were there in the fall when we did it. We got there early, but it was packed out by the time we were By the time we were done, I mean, there was like, you know, people trying to get in at those parking spots. And just parking on the road, even though the signage was there. So you're right. I I guess it does create that sort of barrier. So I I, I like it for that. I like it because you're not going to have, you know, the cars parking where they shouldn't and, you know, tearing down the road and, you know, the incremental, you know, environmental damage it does to that area. I like that you're limiting the number of feet that are on the trail. So you're limiting the number of trash and opportunities, you know, somebody has to to get into trouble. Uh, But the problem I see with old rag is you can actually through hike that. And I can't remember what the two trailheads are on either end, but you can go all, you used to be able to go all the way across the mountain, but now you can't if you don't have a permit. I don't know. I, I didn't look closely enough at what they were doing up there to see if that they were having a certain number of permits that were through hikers only or day visitors only because I know with Mount Whitney, it's been on a lottery program for a long time. 
And that's the first place I experienced it and thought it was great. It limits the number of people on the campsite and on the trail at any given time. You know, it's just, it's, it's makes for a nicer experience for everyone. Um, and so I don't know if, you know, our permit was open for a certain number of days. You know, we just had X number of days and here's your five day window or whatever, go do it. And so I don't know if it's going to be open like that or if you buy it specifically, I'm summoning today, you know, more like it's a lift ticket. Uh, I don't know how, how the system works or what that workaround is, but that's, that's the only issue I really, that I see with it. I think they're, they're on the plus. Um, you know, I think with some of the national parks, you know, having more environmental issues, uh, you know, like, uh, like Denali, you know, going to some sort of green vehicle system for loop tours or for transport in and out. And then you're just sort of, you know, inside the national park system, transportation infrastructure. I think that that's the model that a lot of parks are going to have to go. But you do have parks like Smokies with a road that crosses it. You know, well, one of the reasons they can't do an entrance fee there is because it's a highway that goes, you know, Newfound Gap Road's a highway. You know, um, you know, the same with New River Gorge National Park and Preserve in West Virginia. You can't do anything. That's a, that's a critical bridge that goes through there. You know, that whole park is built around a road that hauls, you know, traffic all day. And so there's no way to avoid that. But there are things you can do to mitigate some of the circumstances around. And I think that some of the timed trails and timed parking and things, lottery systems, I think that those are mostly positives. What about Shenandoah trail-wise, would you say, are your go-tos or your recommendations as maybe like hidden gems within the park? Man, I love Dark Hollow Falls. Okay, we were going to do that. Oh, we, yeah. We, that was on a list. We did White Oak Canyon White, instead. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that that's another one that I love. Oh, we didn't do Dark Hollow because we had the dog with us. We had yeah, we had, we gone, had a dog. Yeah, we had a dog with <laughs> us at the time. Yeah. Well, thank you for being responsible. Yes, dog of owners course. who had a dog in a national park. Right. We well, were with, we, we were with friends. We were with friends and who had it was a dog. Their dog. Yeah. And we um, read the trail uh, information. It was like, do not take dogs on this trail. I, but I like, the reason I like Dark Hollow is, I mean, that is a quad busting workout right there it is it is all downhill and you see a waterfall and it is all uphill and oh it's brutal but i i really i like those kind of hikes especially if i'm just like the first one of the trip like i i like that you know you know torture me just a little bit with the woods and <laughs> our know. very first shenandoah experience was double stairs. little double staircase. little double stairs oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> down the fire road down and then... the fire road and then like yeah. just straight up yeah 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 Ooh, that was tough. At the end of that, we were like, must go to a Ruby Tuesdays now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Which we did do. But I find, yeah, I find, I don't know. It's it's a hard toss-up. I feel like there have been some Shenandoah hikes that have gotten my goat more so than in the Smokies. I agree. It's kind of unbelievable, the challenge on some of those hikes. I have found that too. And I think it's because, uh, you know, I used to live in Virginia. I lived near Radford, Virginia. Or I lived in Radford. I taught middle school in Pulaski County next door. And um, Hello, fellow middle school teacher. Middle school, yeah, school uh, teachers. Middle school language arts was a super fun job. <laughs> I give you a lot of credit for that because I don't know. That's a lot on your shoulders middle school language arts <laughs> a, lot a, reading, lot a lot of reading that's that's a lot of reading yeah that's a lot of reading yeah. and grading that's what i'm saying yeah i'm sure a lot of oh, fun, yeah. But, oh yeah it's, it's, it's the amount of grading you do in any subject yeah. is, is endless it they, is true you know, yeah yeah 
<laughs> but I, I, a lot of the hikes that I did there, um, you know, I would go out to the Blue Ridge Parkway there near Floyd and, you know, uh, up closer to Roanoke. Um, you know, they're like longer, flatter, you know, once you get up onto the plateau of something, you're just kind of on a long ridge line. Uh, but somehow, yeah, in Shenandoah, I find myself just getting killed, forgetting time after time, like, oh, this part actually is really steep, or this one actually is tough. Like, remember that for next time. And then I don't, and then I just go brutalize myself on it again. It's that amnesia, right? <laughs> Do you yeah. feel like your background as an educator, do you feel like you bring that into your writing in your guidebooks? I feel like I do. I feel like I bring more. I, I left teaching to get my master's of fine arts in creative writing. And so I have my MFA in poetry and I find that I bring more attention to sensory detail to it than I do like try to bring in, you know, any like we're going to hit our learning standard number three point. 1.5 right. today, you know, right. proper pronoun usage <laughs> right. you know, or whatever. I, you know, it's, right. uh, I, I find that it's more, I'm more invested in the story. And so I'm more inclined to tell the story a little more interesting, which I suppose is the, the teacher coming out because I didn't want a boring classroom and I tried to pick good things to read. I don't know. I hope I did all right for my students. I have one question. I'm sure you're about to say you could talk forever. Well, I could talk forever yeah. about poetry. Yeah. And I feel like we could just unpack poetry for a whole well, hour. Yeah. We'll have a whole other podcast. Yeah. Do a whole other gaze at poetry. Great. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but I have a question that goes beyond the parks themselves and is kind of more about spaces that are beyond the national park system. So what are some great local parks, forests, or preserves that are near the parks that you'd recommend that maybe are just as wonderful, but just less crowded, less attended? We've recently been really interested in exploring national forests more. So I figured with the area that you're kind of covering, the Smokies, Shenandoah, Blue Ridge, like what are some things that you could pull out that you feel like are showstoppers in their own right, but just aren't a national park that's going to get, you know, slammed with visitors? One of the places for sure is out in the Nantahala National Forest. Uh, I'm about to consult the book. The Blue Ridge Parkway is completely... wrapped up on I think it's on the west side by uh, the Washington and Jefferson National Forest and it's got a lot of great opportunities and that's where you can go out and go uh, you know mountain bike riding and things like that um, you know which is a thing you can't really do on the parkway and on most federal lands um, which is I think one of the smart things that they did in West Virginia with the National Park and Preserve by leaving part of that as a preserve and not a national park, it allows you to do things like the ATV rides, the UTV rides. You, the people can still hunt there, which is a big part of the culture. Um, and you still have the ability to use um, those other elements that you traditionally would have used and you know, add in things like the mountain biking. It's the, oh, the Joyce Kilmer National Forest is what I was thinking of. That, that little patch down there is, I think, one that a few people know, uh, a lot of people have seen because they shot a lot of things from the Hunger Games in there. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people like the waterfall scenes, uh, Katniss runs across one of the falls in there. Um, it's one of those little hard to get to spots. I think that around Knoxville, it's a city park, but the Iams nature trail and, you know, Knoxville's whole greenway system, they've got 11, maybe 18 contiguous miles of greenway that's, that's just about encircling the city. Um, you know, it's old rock quarries and, you know, land that they've strung together, like a lot of Greenway projects. Um, but we used, uh, 
a lot of the national forest land in Virginia, we would go out and go camping a lot with that. I had some friends from scouts when I was in college and we would go out there and use, use a lot of that land and just find a forest road off the, off the Blue Ridge Parkway and just head out a mile or two into the woods. A little bit like being out west in that way, uh, which we don't have a lot of you know, back east. Regarding Dolly Parton, she is a huge advocate for the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Obviously, where she placed Dollywood, where she grew up, she grew up literally like yeah, Tennessee like Mountain, a home. mile or two from a mile or two Dollywood. from Dollywood. Right. I feel like her her influence is like so much deeper than really the things we see on the surface. We listened to the Dolly Parton's America podcast before we went to Dollywood, which we loved. And I'm curious, like, did you have a relationship with Dolly Parton growing up? What do you feel like her influence has been as far as bringing people to this area of the country, particularly the Smokies? I mean, I think that we've just always had an interest in celebrity. And I think that, you know, anytime you, you have a celebrity or someone that you admire or you know, a name you know, like you want to know like what they did, where they're from, you know, what it's like there. And so people will want to go there. And so I think that that's a little bit of just the natural allure of, you know, you know, just the celebrity of Dolly Parton, not even her in particular in dealing with that area. But as far as like my own relationship with her, yeah, like my grandparents were big country music fans and, you know, listened to the Grand Ole Opry all the time. And so Dolly Parton was a, you know, a regular on the, the radio or the stereo at their house. Uh, you know, I, I played a lot of cards with them. And so, you know, there was a lot of country music on and a lot of Dolly in the background. So, um, and then, you know, as my family would vacation down there, I was always aware that that's where she was from. Um, you know, we never... We never saw her. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like going to Nashville in the in the seventies or eighties where you might see somebody. You know, it was just Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. You know, it was not much there. But whenever she got Dollywood, I I guess I realized as a kid, like she's she's really something. She's a lot more than just this woman that I see on TV every once in a while, or you know, on Johnny Carson. You know, that my that grandma and grandpa like. And then as I've gotten older, you know, you learn about her books program where she's sending out books. You know, to to kids before they get into school, you know, sending out a million library books and, you know, this money she's given to, you know, Vanderbilt University to help with the vaccine research, you know, the work she's done on behalf of, you know, LGBTQI fan base, you know, being an icon in that community. I mean, she's, she, she crosses so many bridges and she, she builds so many connections between what might appear to be disparate groups who can all bond around their love of this thing and this, their impact of this thing. Um, and I think it was really f made clear to the community just how deeply she cares for them with all the, the work she did and the monies that she gave and that she helped raise around the wildfires, uh, you know, back in uh, 2016. Um, you know, Gatlinburg was devastated, man. It still is. You can, you can, if you go up to Anakista or you go up to Gatlinburg Skybridge and you look around, you can see house pads on the side of hills. You can see roads that just no one's built there yet. Uh, you know, you can see that there's places that are going to look a little different for, you know, another decade or more. Um, you know, she gave a lot of money and raised a lot of awareness and really helped people out through that. And so, you know, her impact's huge. And she's always been a good partner to tourism. So she's always been happy to talk about the Smokies and, you know, appear in their ad and do their thing. And that's not always the case, you know. Those, you know, once you achieve that level of fame, your time has a value and some people forget maybe to value, you know, give back to the place that they came from. Uh, but she's always done that. And I think it reflects well on the spirit of 
that place, you know, as well as on her personally. So now I don't mind that they got rid of the haunted house. <laughs> See, we came back. See, we, we full circle. So right. <laughs> dress museum. Thank you. Yeah, I'd rather see the dress museum now. <laughs> I've seen a haunted house. Whatever. True. One final question. And then we have a game. And then we have a game we'd love to play. Uh, okay. If you're down. <laughs> okay, last question. What are your goals when you have the opportunity to write the Moon Travel Guide on the Smokies or write the Moon Travel Guide on the Blue Ridge Parkway? Like, what are your goals in writing those books? Like, what are you thinking about all the time? And what do you hope to... Um, give people like when they take that book off the shelf i want you to love that place the way i love that place that's as simple as it gets like i great smoky mountains national park was the first park that i went to i you know i i have memories of being in cherokee and in gatlinburg you know know, six seven years old you know pictures of me there you know every year up through my 20s it's a place I have a long and deep emotional connection to for a lot of different reasons. And so my goal with that book is to draw an emotional line between me, you, and this place. And somewhere that line gets pulled tighter. And, you know, if it's pulled tighter to me, fine, I'm just going to expose you more to that to that park and, you know, to, to things I write about North Carolina and, you know, things I write about, you know, in different parts of the world. And so that's great. But if it draws you closer to the park, then I've really done what I set out to do, which is I want you to have a relationship with the place. I want you to find, I want you to go and find yourself in this place in the same way that I do. And I don't think that can necessarily be replicated, uh, you know, especially not just in a couple hundred page book. Uh, (laughs) But that's, that's my goal. And with the Blue Ridge Parkway, it's the same thing. I want you to, I want you to have that same visceral emotional reaction to driving down that road at night with your windows rolled down and the crisp early autumn air, and you can just hear the last of those summer frogs, you know, peeping in in, in the creek beside the the parkway. Like I, I want to take you there. I don't want to make you remember the song you were listening to in that moment and who you were driving with and where you were going and what you just did. Like, I want to have that snap moment of pure recognition and pure memory and pure dopamine just hit you at some point in time on that trip. That's what I want. I want you to fall in love with that place. We play games all the time on our show. I wrote a game uh, for the both of you. Um, uh, and we we invent games constantly because we on the trail you get to physical exhaustion and so we have to keep our minds active so like that's why we play games all the time so this is a word jumble game okay Um, so i'm going to give you a clue you'll need to guess both the landmark and also the rejumbled phrase that's going to come from that landmark does that make sense and it's going to be it's going to be shenandoah and and smoky related and i've only got four so we'll see how this goes okay sometimes i write hard games (laughs) i'll just preface that sometimes you do it's true all right for uh our first one if you rearrange the letters of this popular shenandoah hike with new permitted day pass restrictions You'll get what happens when you're too slow and lose a fish off your line. Oh. <laughs> uh, too slow. <laughs> Do you have it? Too slow to lose a fish. All right. I don't. I, I mean, I know what the landmark is. Can you give me the landmark? 
the landmark is old rag. That's correct. Yeah. So if you're too slow and you lose a fish off your line, think about what the line is attached to. It's attached to your to the fishing rod. Mm-hmm. You've got one of the words. Is it rod lag? Yeah, it's rod lag. Oh my god. <laughs> Amazing. You're so lag. good because yeah. you you're writing them down. I'm like trying to Sorry, this may be very hard. So you might have visual. to write it down. No, I had to write it down. For the folks at home, you might want to write it down. Here's our second one. If you rearrange the letters of this popular campsite and western area of the Great Smoky Mountains, you'll get a damp, dank underground chamber where most male and female college freshmen might live. I mean, I'm thinking it's Cade's Cove. You're right. It's Cade's Cove. But do they live in the the cave dorm? No. But (laughs) cave is one of the words. If you've got male and female college people living together, they're considered to be what? It's a co-ed cave? That's right, the co-ed cave. That's it. <laughs> All right. For um Sorry, we just need to acknowledge like <laughs> the idea of living in a co-ed cave sounds horrific. Part of it sounds <laughs> fascinating and part of it sounds like it's gotta be the right people. The right people mm-hmm. gotta live there. Is it more Lord of the Flies or like Island of the Blue Dolphin? Oh, oh great. Okay. They're, Excellent they're two extremes. References. Yes. <laughs> yeah, two very extremes. Two very extremes. Okay, for 300, rearrange the letters of this popular hike that brings you up to Mount LeConte, and you'll get an abbreviation for the holiday of the offspring of a male donkey and a female horse. <laughs> Is it Alum Cave? That's right. Yeah. Okay. You're disappointed in me. No, I'm not disappointed. I'm trying to think of the second part. So what do a male donkey and a female horse make? They make a very particular type of offspring. Yeah, they make a mule. Uh-huh. So an abbreviation for a holiday that a, a mule might take. Mule Patty's Day? <laughs> mule Patty's Day. Mule-mess. What's a mule vacay? Oh, abbreviated a mule vacay mm-hmm. like V-A-C-A, V-A-C-A dot <laughs> I f- yeah okay all right all right it was a stretch i had mules drinking kava <laughs> this is why Are they mike, going to spain mike should write um crossword puzzles i should for reasons like all right and our last clue of this right. very hard word jumble definitely write these down rearrange the letters of this rock outcropping which overlooks the shenandoah valley and whose name sounds like what happened to medusa's victims and you'll get another way to describe a very runny nose okay so is the place stony man that's correct okay yeah well you guys got all the landmarks yeah so yeah we just can't we just can't unjumble words <laughs> i thought i, I thought I, my I, clues, I thought my clues were pretty good but <laughs> they are they're really good they're really good i'm good at crossword puzzles and i'm terrible <laughs> at jumbles. like boggle and jumbles Ugh. same same so i wrote a kryptonite category for you <laughs> did for tonight. both of us yes <laughs> unbeknownst to me so you'll it's get perfect you'll it get makes a, for great tv another way to describe a very runny nose it's not grammatically correct i'll give you that too i just i just added a letter to it for no reason what do you have jason <laughs> Oh, nothing. I, I, nothing. I, I, I fully added like a whole other thing. Would you like the answer? The yes. only thing I can think of is Flemmy, which no. none of those letters. So Stony Man, what is many snot? A very runny nose. Oh, he would have many snot. <laughs> many snot. And that's our um, Blue Ridge Parkway word jumble. <laughs> there it is, everybody. <laughs> 
I love it. I love a word jumble. If you're interested in purchasing Jason's books on the Great Smoky Mountains National Park or the Blue Ridge Parkway, you can go to moon.com or you can also support your local bookstores. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the national parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gaze at the national parks.com. And to buy our merch, visit shop.gaze at the national parks.com. That's gaze, G A Z E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the gaze shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Scleos. Our music producer was Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey.